scripture reading this morning is found in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our service today is about God. It's a memorial uh, about Him. In this service, He is telling us something about Himself He never wants us to forget. And that's why it is such a brief service, because it's easy to remember that way. Something that should flood our mind every time we think of God. And what is it? That God is a God of grace. Nothing brings Him more delight and pure joy than providing for our every need. Oh, I could say that five times in a row, and it doesn't do its service. Nothing brings him more delight and pure joy than in providing for our every need. Wonderful thing about God. Whose job is it to take care of us? Whose job is to take care of us? <laughs> We're going to hold in our hands here in a few minutes here a symbol of um, something very important, two symbols, the bread and the wine. And they represent something truly immense, that if we yield ourselves to him and take in that wafer, it's like taking in Jesus. Isn't that right? It's like taking in Jesus. When we take that drink and we take it into our body, it's doing what? It's taking in Jesus, right? And it's very simple, and it's, it's holding in its grasp some incomprehensible truths. Something that we should think about that's been all through the Bible, but it sometimes is overlooked. Whenever God did something, he did more than you ever expected. Amen. And when you have a, even, a temple, even a measurement, but when you were measuring the temple, it was more, wasn't it? It was more. And um, when God gives blessings, does he give just what we deserve? Does he give us more? Just in our prayers, just a few moments ago. Um, yeah. He just floods us with blessings. He doesn't seem to be afraid of that. When he gives us grace, does he give us just enough to get by? Is he stingy with grace? Does he know that we need a whole lot more than we think we need? Yes. And so his grace is abundant. Um, how can God forget all that we have done against him? Is that hard for him to do? When we come up in the mind of the Lord, Stan comes up before the Lord, does he see all of my faults? Does that somehow affect the way he relates to me? Because I tell you, I'm a big disappointment <laughs> in a lot of ways. Amen. Thank you for the amen on that. 
<laughs> okay. I don't think so. Um, you know, you think about God. He is omnipotent. He is omnipotent. He can remember all things. He doesn't forget things. But what about my sins? Wow. Wow. They don't come between me and him. So we just passed the offering plate a little while ago. We put in our little bit. What does God do with that little bit? Every single thing that we have any of, any contact with, if God is in the picture, he makes it better. Isn't that right? Amen. That's what God is all about. Um, our problem is that we just tend to forget that. I like this quote. It's from Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 4, The Testimonies. It says something interesting, 394. The people are more ignorant in regard to the plan of salvation than need more instruction upon this all-important subject than upon any other. Now, we're talking about people that have studied this all their lives, and yet they remain ignorant, more ignorant than anything else. This is from an inspired pen. She got special insight. We don't understand this as much as we should. There seems to be this persistent idea that we have something that we have to contribute. How can you contribute to perfection? That is a very hard task to do. Many have the idea that they have some part of the work that they must do alone. Every such effort will fail. He is not only the author, but the finisher of our faith. Author means he starts it and takes it all the way to the end. Let it never be said that Seventh-day Adventists believe in righteousness by works. Or that we believe that somehow we can improve upon what God has done for us. Christ was treated as we deserve so that we can be treated as he deserves. That's the way it works. That's what salvation. He suffered the death which was ours that we might receive the life which was his. That's what we're celebrating today. Only as we see our utter helplessness and renounce all self-trust will we lay hold on divine power. And so we have to just kind of accept it with a big swallow in our heart, <laughs> you know, that we can't do anything to make ourselves look better. Jesus is in charge of that. He's going to do it. He took a world that was filled with un... Uh, designated, how should I say, just darkness and void. That's the best way to say it. He took that, and what did he do with it? He filled it with everything that delights our mind and our hearts. He designed it for us, perfect and complete. That's what he wants to do all the time. That's what he has always been doing. The word Jesus simply means vast. Yeah, Jesus is our salvation. He makes us complete. 
Christ delights to take apparently hopeless material, those whom Satan has debased, and through whom he has worked, and make them subjects of his grace. The sinner is saved without having done anything worthy of salvation. He is holy without merit. And that includes HMS Richards Sr. Those of you that remember that name. The best of them. The principle that man can save himself by his own works lays at the foundation of every heathen religion. It's heathenism. We come to the table today to renounce heathenism. We come to the table today to say, with the taking of a simple wafer and a simple cup of grape juice that represents something so immense that our mind can hardly get a hold of it, that Jesus can, with those simple little things that are totally him, make something as horrible as we've made of our life into something good. Just so simple. How wonderful that is. It's not by painful struggles or wearisome toil, nor by gift or sacrifice that righteousness is obtained. It is freely given to every soul who hungers and thirsts after it. Do you hunger for it? Do you thirst for it? Hunger and thirst. We can no more repent without the Spirit of Christ than we can be pardoned without Christ. We are so dependent. God wants the privilege of doing everything. He wants to do it all himself. How important that is. So the psalmist would say, Deliver me in your righteousness. Several times you find that. David pleads for God to judge him by God's righteousness, not by what he deserved. It is so amazing. And you have this fantastic story. There's a couple of stories in the story of the Bible that are so outstanding. One is the story of Zechariah the high priest, chapter 3, Zechariah. Joshua the high priest, sorry. Zechariah. (laughs) Joshua the high priest. And uh, he stands before God and he's got uh, filthy garments. And uh, he's being condemned by whom? Satan. Being reminded of all of his filthy garments. Has Satan ever done that to you? He's good at it. And I'm going to read um, a little statement. Satan urges before God his accusations against them, the righteous, declaring that they have by their sins forfeited the divine protection and claiming the right to destroy them as transgressors. Listen to this carefully. He, re- he pronounces them just and deserving as himself of exclusion of the fa- from the favor of God. Are these, he says, the people who are to take my place in heaven and the place of the angels who united with me? While they profess to obey the law of God, have they kept its premises, its precepts? Have they not been lovers of self more than of God? This is the nature of Satan's argument presented before God as to why he should be saved. Have they not placed their own interest above his service? Have they not loved the things of the world? Look at the sins which have marked their lives. Behold their selfishness, their malice, their hatred toward one another. And he says to God, on the basis of that, if you take them, you've got to take me. Is that a clever argument? Does it seem foolproof? 
It seems foolproof. The people of God have been in many respects very faulty. Satan has, listen to this, an accurate knowledge of their sins. He doesn't even have to exaggerate. He's got an accurate knowledge of their sins. And so we think we're sunk. He's got us nailed. He's got God over a hook. What can God do? The Lord rebuke you, <laughs> the Bible says. But while the followers of Christ have sinned, they have not given themselves to the control of evil. They have put away their sins and have sought the Lord in humility, contrition, and divine and the divine advocate pleads in their behalf. That's what we do today at this service. The Lord rebuke you, O Satan, he says. I gave my life for these souls. They are graven upon the palms of my hands. And every one of God's saints on that sea of glass takes the crown off and says, we do not deserve this. They throw it at the feet of Jesus because they realize they're saved by grace. They had no right. They were saved by grace. So the command is made in the story of Joshua the high priest. Take away the filthy garments. Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with the change of raiment. And God did that. God knows that we are sinful. He knows that we are dust. He knows our failings. <clears throat> and he knows what he can do for us. We have to trust him. In an instant, Adam and Eve went from being righteous to being sinners. Is it possible that in an instant we can go from being sinners to being righteous? Amen. Is it possible? Amen. Think so? Amen. Because it's a supernatural work. It doesn't come from within us. And it brings about supernatural results. Why should we fear when God has said, Let him take hold of my strength, and he will have peace with me, and he shall make peace with me. Nothing is apparently more helpless, yet really more invincible, than the soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly on the merits of the Savior. God would send every angel in heaven to the aid of such a one, rather than allow him to be over. It literally makes no sense to us. It's miraculous. It's supernatural. But that's what the faith of Christians is all about. We can do nothing of ourselves. In all our helpless unworthiness, we must trust in the merits of a crucified and risen Savior. None will ever perish while they do this. The just shall live by when the Spirit of God takes possession of the heart, it transforms the life. The power that no eye can see starts to work, creating a brand new image. Hallelujah. And the Spirit will come into our lives as we take of that wafer and take of that grape juice today. And in an instant, we become partakers of the divine nature. Wow! It's just amazing. Christ has given His Spirit as a divine power to overcome all hereditary and cultivated tendencies to evil. When you take of the wafer by faith and the cup by faith, 
the Spirit of God comes in, able to overcome all inherited and cultivated sins in our life. If that's what you want to do, I think you want to take part in our communion today. How special that is. It's so simple. We are told that we are more ignorant about this than anything else, this simple truth. Well, here we have it. How much simpler can it be? It's just as simple as can be. That's what's so beautiful. In our church, we do exactly what Jesus has asked us to do, and uh, that is we have a foot washing ceremony. What's important about foot washing? It humbles us. It reminds us that we are one with each other. We are committed to each other. We are bonded with each other. We're not over or under. We are one. And we come from that level of human need and that we're reminded of by washing our feet. And we come in and then we can partake. From that level of stability, that level of humility, and we can partake of this and maybe receive some of that supernatural stuff that God provides through this miracle of all miracles. All hereditary and cultivated tendencies to evil. Wow, wouldn't it be wonderful to leave here today free from those things? Wow. I mean, if there's anything worth believing, that's it.